99 today from one of my favorite cities in the country, Venice Beach, California. I have the award-winning author, serial entrepreneur, life changer. I have Michael Dash with us. Mike, how are you? Yes, Venice Beach. That's right. I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I will say, as we're recording this, we have, we're now, uh, what, about a week into this corona, I'll call it the corona recalibration. Right. I'm not going to say depression, the, the, the pandemic. We're just we're, we're recalibrating. And it's fascinating getting to hear your perspective on this. Yeah, it's a it's a time that none of us have ever experienced before. And how many times can you say that in life? Not many. So this is going to be something we'll never forget. We'll be able to tell our children and grandchildren. And, you know, it's about really how can we serve others? I mean, that's really what I find it uh, to be most about. And others, as in your media family first, you know, your own livelihood, the friends and family that you have, and then just in, 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 in uh, you know, the people that are less fortunate than you. Um, you know, this is really a test of our compassion towards ourselves and others. Oh, I couldn't agree more with that. And, and, Michael, I ask, I, I'm in this beautiful position to get to ask brilliant entrepreneurs the same question to start every episode. You've been, as I think so many of us have been, through ups and downs and lefts and rights in the entrepreneurial journey. And if someone's listening and you were to share one lesson with them that you wish you would have known when you started out your, I'll say, entrepreneurial business ownership path, what would that lesson be? Not to make emotional decisions. That would be my biggest lesson that I've learned over. I'm a very emotional person. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs are type A's, not all, but a lot of them are. We're emotional. We wear it on our sleeves. We're tied to the businesses that we built because we put a lot of sweat equity in them. And then when something goes wrong, we take it personally. And that's really where the challenge comes in of keeping your emotions separate from decisions that you make within your business. Uh, and so that, that, and there's different hacks that I learned over the years to help me do that because for so long, I didn't do that. And I always ended up in a bad place. Before we know about the bad place, like, can, can you share a hack or two with us, right? You have this incredible platform, not only your website, but your book we're going to get into, where I know you share a lot of this on a consistent basis. Like michaelg-.com is a great place to go and subscribe to Michael's newsletter that comes out twice a week and right it's it's video and it's written and there's tips and tricks about not only entrepreneurism but how to live what i call an optimized life so is it okay if you share something with us about right how to how to process through those emotions to make a more logic-based decision sure i'll give you a good one so and this example will be different for you than it is for me but i was involved unfortunately in a long legal battle six-year legal battle with my ex-business partner at the a couple years into it, though, I really started to butt heads with my own attorneys, my own attorneys, the ones representing me. And every time an email would come through from one of my attorneys, it would set me off. Right. I would just my heart rate would get elevated as soon as I saw the email come in and I would allow it to disrupt my day, to disrupt my pattern, to disrupt my flow. Because I would immediately check it. And it, regardless of what I was doing, it would shift my attitude in some way. And it took me a while, but I recognized that. 
So I created a separate folder in my email just for my lawyer's emails. So I set it up so they would automatically go in that folder and they wouldn't land in the regular inbox. And when I saw that folder, believe me, I saw it. I saw when there was an email there immediately, but I didn't open it. I got through doing what I was doing. When I had a break, I walked to the empty office next door to mine. And for 15 minutes, I sat and meditated before I opened the email. Now, you don't have to sit and meditate. You could go for a walk. Walk around the building, come back, nice and calm. Your heart rate is normal, not an elevated emotional state. And then I would read that email. And I would be able to digest it a lot better. I would be in control of my reaction to it. And it wouldn't throw me off kilter from any projects or employees that I was working with and helping. So there might be, it might be a client might do that to you. There's certain clients that set you off, right? Um, and that might be, a, it might be a client versus a lawyer. It might be a spouse, <laughs> hopefully not, but it might be, a, it might be a family member, but set up a folder. If it triggers you this way, you're in control, much more control of when you read it, how you react to it and the disposition you take towards it. So that really helped me a lot. I love that. What a brilliant piece of advice and so easy to implement, really. Right. We just we don't think about it. By the way, we're reactionary to every email that comes in. Just that little foresight really, really helps create that space. Right. But yeah, completely. I mean, we're you said it. We're such in this reactionary mode as if like we have to respond to things right away, because if we don't respond to it, the facts and emotions of that email are going to change if we don't respond right away. <laughs> when you really take a step back and think about it, like it, it's, it's foolish. I mean, we're so reactionary, but we can set our days up better for ourselves and put ourselves in a better position just by a little planning and some foresight. So I, I love that. And I also love, right, when you spoke about meditation, you shared with me as I was getting to know you just a little bit before the show. You just got back from a six-day meditation retreat. Is that right? I did. I did. Where was that at? What, what did that entail? What does that mean? So I, it was in Monterey, California, and a gentleman named Kyle Cease, uh, he wrote it. Uh, he, it was his retreat, and um, he wrote a book called The Illusion of Money, which is a great book. Um, and he used to be a former comedian. He was a stand-up comedian. He had like best... He had shows on Comedy Central, his own half hour on Comedy Central. Very well-known guy. Um, but comedy wasn't fulfilling him. So he left comedy and he went into personal development and meditation. And now he has these retreats and a whole online community and a twist on it because he, he invokes comedy in you know, his meditation trainings and in his... Uh, in his, in his following and things of that nature. So it's serious and a little humor and it's perfect for me because that's how I am. Uh, and, and, um, so yeah, so we went up there to Monterey, stayed there for six days. We went silent for about 36 hours. Um, there was a hundred of us there approximately. And the rest was either meditating or talking through challenges that we were having with meditating or things that we wanted to, you know, up level in our life. I love that. And, and I'm a, a big fan of Kyle's as well, or I was introduced to him, um, I'll say an acquaintance, maybe a friend. Um, Lewis Howes had him 
at his you know school of greatness here in Columbus, Ohio, and then right joined the Living Out Loud community for a while. So really familiar with Kyle. If you don't know his work, right, definitely take a look at that. And I'm curious about the silent side of things. That's the next part that's calling me, right? I want to go through a whole five day silent meditation retreat, right, which happens also typically be right, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. So I have to travel really somewhere, I'll say, quote, unquote, a little more spiritual, right? I basically have to go to California, Utah, somewhere where there's that sort of thing. But what did you get away from? Like, what did you experience? What did you take with you from the silent meditation part of the of the session? Because there's literally no, no talking, no communicating, no, right? It's, it's true silence. Yeah, it's great. Um, I will say it's the second time I've done something like that. So just six months prior, I did a four-day silent meditation retreat, complete silence the whole time. It was at a place in Sacramento, California, like a bed and breakfast type place. There was like seven people there max. And you had two rules, just you can't talk to anybody. And you have to meditate with the group for half an hour at uh, 7 p.m. and 9 a.m. And it was a very interesting experience. What I learned more than anything is how how um, your awareness is completely at another level in silence. Your awareness of everything around you is raised to the nth degree when you're silent. Like we don't realize how many and how loud people are. <laughs> like if you're silent and you're around a whole bunch of people, you realize how loud everyone is. But when you're talking, it's just normal. Um, so I really, and things really slow down for you in silence. So those are some great things because what we lose is our awareness. A lot of people lose their awareness. When people go for a walk or a jog outside, most of them are wearing some sort of, uh, you know, are listening to some sort of music or talk or a podcast or hopefully this one or something <laughs> else, right? But they're not aware of the sounds around them, the nature around them, the beauty around them. And I'm one of those people. And so going silent, like raised that awareness to myself. And for instance, one thing I've adopted among many is uh, I don't drive with the radio on. I drive in silence. I, I love that. I thought I was literally the only lunatic in the world now that doesn't have music on that. Like I hop in the car and everything's, it's just like, it's me in the windshield. I write a little yeah, engine noise, but like there's, there's nothing going on. And it's, it's so peaceful just to even get those. I live very close to my, my office. Right. So it's maybe, maybe a 12 minute drive each direction, but just having those 12 minutes of silence twice a day, just for me, it centers me, right? I feel more at peace. I can calm down and write that central nervous system of that's all hyped up during the day. And by the time I get home to see my family, I can actually be a, a present husband and father. I don't have to chase and right, I'm not vibrating at this super high frequency. I can just come home and be, be me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So you get it. I, I'm working on it, right? Work in progress. Yeah. But, but Aren't we all, isn't life a work in progress? To me, it is for those of us that are working on it. I find that to be a fascinating conversation, right? How many of us are going through life, right? With that, unconscious part of our brain we can even call it subconscious that's guiding almost everything we're not even aware that things like this can even exist and i know a lot of people listening to the show are in their own process well i, I couldn't say awakening because that seems like it's some hierarchical right we're better than but it's but there's a point not that long ago michael in my life where actually probably five six years ago i would have thought all this stuff was completely crazy right like 
meditate? Why would you do that? Like, go, 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 work 18 hours a day, push harder, make more money. And it ended up basically bankrupting me. When I say bankrupting, like truck repossessed, we run our properties in foreclosure, like bankrupt, bankrupt. Not like, oh, morally, I was, I was corrupt as well. Whole different story. But right on, on your side, Michael, you had immense success with the staffing business. It had a long run rate to it, right? You were multinational. You had a lot of things that went on prior to this moment in time. What was that like as you were building the company? And what of the transition, or was it always there for you? Did you always have that spiritual component? Do you always know there was something greater? No, I never had that spiritual component. Uh, I, my only, my spiritual component was money. All I wanted was money and I wanted more money. And then when I had money, I wanted more of it. And when I had it, it didn't, it didn't bring me anything that I thought it would bring me. So for years, I was convinced that I was going to be an entrepreneur because my dad was an entrepreneur. And then when I became the very thing that I was chasing to be all my life, I didn't want to be it. I didn't realize how more, how, how I was just like spiritually bankrupt. And even when I was, you know, had a million dollars in the bank and, you know, I built, like, I've been in sales my whole life. Uh, I might have CEO next to my name, but I'm a sales guy, true and through, right? I sold home improvements going door to door all through college. You know, I, I, I sold advertising on the phone for 12 hour days when I came out of college. And then I went into the staffing business was my best friend in New York. And then I moved to Utah. I followed a business opportunity and it opened, it turned into a business like a Jersey, a Jersey Jew from, uh, you know, being dropped in, in Utah in Mormon land. It was a shock to the system. Let me tell you, I knew one person there and I started my business there and built it for 12 years. And like building it was exciting because, you know, you're like, I love land and business. I get this thrill. I get this rush. I get this high. Um, and that was great, but then it just didn't stop. None of it was enough. And then when my partner and I started disagreeing about like, I wanted to continue to grow the company and she was fine, not growing it. And she was fine where it was, and she didn't want to put so much time into the business, but she didn't want to renegotiate our agreement. So that ended up in a big legal battle. And then, you know, I was battling a lawsuit and trying to build the company at the same time. And it, it turned into just chaos, utter chaos. And I had multiple drug issues going on. So I was always chasing one high or another. Well, we talk about that addiction side of things. So that's something near and dear to me. My, my best friends, three, two and a half, three years ago, um, had been sober for two and a half years and had battled a heroin addiction, right? He was put on a, a Dilata drip in high school because he had a lung infection. He was hospitalized. and. I got out of the hospital, Michael, and was given opioids to kind of bridge that gap. And then when the opioid, you know, prescription ran out, he went to street drugs, right, to, to chase that same high. And it, he battled all throughout his 20s. Well, longest story made short as possible. New apartment, find him on a Saturday morning, dead, right? Hunch over his counter, right? Relapse. What, and it was really cocaine laced with fentanyl is what it ended up being, right? Something that wouldn't even been, quote unquote, the, the drug of choice, but something nonetheless that happened. Right. And I'm, I'm always curious about the, not the origin of addiction for any individual person, but right, how, what's your story, right? When did you first realize, now looking backwards, as I call it, looking back, painting by numbers is always easy. Where did that addiction start for you? And, and how, what different shapes did it take? 
Well, my uncle introduced me to gambling when I was 10 years old at Thanksgiving. And I was hooked immediately. The first bet I ever made, I won. It was the worst thing that ever could have happened to me. It was on football. And, you know, I borrowed 10 bucks from my parents and, you know, and I was off to the races. And, you know, all through, like, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I was working for my dad because he was an entrepreneur. So I was making money, not a lot of money, but little money. So I would then bet with his guys in the warehouse, in his warehouse, his own warehouse. They would take my bets. And they would take me to the horse track when I was like 13 or 14 years old. So I was gambling hardcore at a very young age. That was my first big addiction. And when I went to college, I became a bookie, of course. So, I mean, that's a natural progression, you know. And then um, I got involved with drugs. And, you know, I was an entrepreneur at an early age. I just never thought that the beginning of my entrepreneur career would be as a bookie and a drug dealer. But... That's what it was. And, uh, you know, I did that all through college. Um, and then when I came out, you know, I was gambling heavy and I was doing cocaine heavy and I was smoking weed every night. And, you know, I battled those addictions for a while. Um, you know, I've been clean from gambling for over 14 years. Um, Coke, it's been eight years. Um, so, you know, I'm very fortunate to have, I went to the program for gambling, Gamblers Anonymous saved my life. Um, and then, you know, I had those principles in place um, and eventually was able to get hold of the other addictions that I had. Yeah. And, and, and Michael, as you went down your spiritual awakening I'm, I'm, and removing addiction and living in California now, right? There's a lot of ands. So I'm not going to assume anything, but I may. A combination of psilocybin and ayahuasca have changed my personal belief system on many, many things in life. And I haven't found either one of them. I have a super addictive personality, right? Like I haven't quote unquote been addicted to something, but I would also say I've been addicted to everything. Bodybuilding, steroids, making money, growing businesses. Like it's in me. Yep. Have those things ever been something that you have tried, experienced? Did they help, you know, break down any of the, any of the walls that exist? Or was that lumped in the same buck as everything else? And we, we pushed those to the corner. So I haven't tried them. But they've been on my radar, floating around my hemisphere wherever I go, i.e. right now in this conversation <laughs> that I didn't bring up, but you did. So they're floating around. I've had visions of going to Peru and climbing Machu Picchu and then three days later doing an ayahuasca journey. But I'm just, uh, I haven't, I'm not there yet, but uh, I, I, I believe it's in my future. It's just timing has to be right. I have to feel good about it. and. Um, really go in with a focus of, of really what I'm trying to improve. Um, but in the back of my mind, it does kind of uh, give me a little hesitation because of the addiction challenges that I've had. And I did them, you know, and I know it's different, but I did mushrooms a lot in college and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. Um, and I don't have the greatest memories uh, of that, but I know this is completely different. Um, but um but yeah, that's where I stand on it. I don't have any, like my feet are not dug in saying I'm not going to do it. I know it's helped a lot of people. I also know some people who've done it like 20 times and like, I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Right. It's um, so I was introduced to ayahuasca. Gosh, now maybe a year ago down in uh, Costa Rica at Rhythmia Life Advancement Center. Oh, I know Rhythmia. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. And, and Jerry Powell and I became friends, and he used it to get over his addiction. And then I ended up helping out and, and still I'd help out with the, some of the things at the resort and some aftercare programs. So by the nature of how that works there, right, it's a four-day sequential usage, right? And not saying right or wrong, it's just what it is. So yeah, I looked into the whole thing. I mean, it looks like a place, like if you want to do it posh, then that's where you do it. <laughs> that, is, that is the most polite way to say if you're a little bit of a nose in the air, want everything taken care of, which I have no problem saying I was or even sometimes still am. That is the place. But now I'm feeling called to Peru where right, I've had 14 or so journeys and not because it's like I, I need to do it. It's just because there's four sequential. There's been this. They all build on one another. Either way, we can talk about that another time. We want to make our, our conversation today about that. Talk but, about that offline. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's there's a fascinating part of you, right? We sell the company. We, you sell the company, you get rid of it. The lawsuit gets, gets settled. We move from Salt Lake to, to, you know, SoCal, basically California, LA, but there's this brilliant book. There's brilliant philanthropic things. There's an immense amount of travel. How did all that come about, right? I got to know about your book. Like I'm a, I'm a huge, huge reader. So I'd love to know your book, your title, where to find it at, how all that stuff works. Yeah, sure. So I uh, appreciate that. My, Journey throughout all of that I was explaining is I always uh, was very philanthropic. I always gave back. I volunteered my own time. And when I had money um, before that million was gone, uh, you know, I'd give a lot from a financial standpoint. Um, and I was uh, mostly involved with Leukemia Lymphoma Society for over 10 years. I was nominated for their Man Woman of the Year competition um, in 2016 in Utah. I came in second place. Um, I raised $75,000 in 10 weeks for LLS. I've raised over 100K for them over the years. I ran four marathons with them and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, raising money with them. So got to have some great experiences while, you know, doing good in the world. And, and that's, that's a great combination for me because I like, I like setting big goals and then taking them down. Um, so when I, you know, most of my life I had this negative attitude about things when people would tell me about like being an optimist or like uh, about synchronicity or about uh, energy or uh, meditation or yoga or any of this stuff. You know, I was taught it's kind of like she, she nonsense. You know, I grew up in Jersey. We don't really believe in that stuff so much or we didn't. Right. Until we woke. <laughs> um, <laughs> We didn't really believe in that stuff. So I was just like that. But when I took the trip to Bali like three years ago, I heard two people talking about flow and living a life. Like if it's not a hell yes in your life, it should be a fuck no in anything that you do. And like that you can manifest your future and that there's synchronicities all around us if we open our eyes to it. Um, and like blah, 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 blah. I thought it was complete nonsense. Um, but I listened to them. I was in a lot of pain at the time. I was in the lawsuit. You know, I, I accrued a, a millions in legal fees. Um, I hated the company I was running. And so I took their course and the course changed my life. And it's an online course that they have. It's like 1200 bucks or something. And if anyone's interested, it's called Flow Consciousness Institute Online. They take you through this process of clearing out your limiting beliefs through tapping and EMDR. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these things, but like EMDR is like a, a rapid eye movement and tapping is like you tap on different parts of your body, different nervous 
and we cleared out these limiting beliefs. So like change is difficult is like a limiting belief. A lot of people actually believe that change is difficult, but change is very easy. Like you and I could commit to change like right now. You can't snap today, but right now, right? And and incorporate it in our lives. But what most people get intimidated by is the results of the change that they're expecting and how long and how much effort it will take to achieve those results. And then they end up not even starting because they don't think they can ever get to the results. But the and then they convince themselves that change is difficult, but it's not. It's very, very easy. Like we could change immediately. So, you know, you, you go through that through tapping and then you input a positive belief that change is easy. And I actually was doing this work. I wasn't judging it. I promised I wouldn't judge for the first time in my life. And it started, things started changing in my life. And I was able to start finding solutions to these problems because they, they kind of presented themselves. I was more aware of everything around me. The world started conspiring for me. Instead of me looking at everything about the world conspiring against me. And that philosophical change and being able to manifest things and talking about, you know, things that you want. When you talk about things that you want in life, people around you, there's somebody who is most likely able to give you one piece of advice or to get you that much closer to what you want when you speak about it. And that's how you manifest things. So I started doing that and things started coming together for me and it really completely changed my life. It allowed me to be in a position to settle the lawsuit, to finally come terms to my e- come to terms with my ego and realize that nobody gives an F if I win or lose this lawsuit when I'm dead and buried. So just settle the thing and move on with your life. And that's what I was able to do. And that's one of the chapters that I wrote in my book called Chasing the High, appropriately named for me. Because I would chase every high, whether it was started with money and gambling and drugs, then women, then business, then, you know, everything. And yeah, so that's the book. I don't know if people are going to see this or not, but it's Chasing the High. This is uh, a picture from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. And it's basically my journey, uh, an entrepreneur's mindset through addiction, lawsuits, and his journey to the edge. There's some great... Um, tips in here. There's a chapter called the habit of habit making, which talks about how important it is to build strong habits in your life. And as you evolve as a human, that your habits evolve with you. Like the same habits you had five years ago, aren't going to work for you today. You are hopefully a different person because you're continuing to pursue growth in your life. And so your habits should change with you. I love that. I love everything about that message. That, that's incredible. And you have a, you created an assessment as well that helps with some of the the principal integrated theories from the book. Is that right? There's a, there's assessments to understand what you're doing versus flow. Yeah. So I created this awesome, uh, it's called an alignment assessment and basically it allows, and I'll offer, it's a $97 value, but I'll offer it free to anybody who's listening to seven figure coaching system. And I'll give you uh, uh, instructions on how to get that. But first, what is it? It basically, it's a, you do it on your own and it allows you to align the activities in your life on a daily basis with your mission and goals in life. So you're basically tracking all your activities within a 24 hour period of time. And all of you have enough time to do this now because you're stuck at home or no, you're not stuck at home because you're enjoying being at home. That's right. We got to put a spin on that. 
You all have a chance to do this. Track your activities for 24 hours. Measure them on an alignment scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being highest alignment to what you're trying to accomplish. We take an average of that score, and you see your average alignment. And then we start shifting the behaviors that are below your average alignment score so you are focused on activities that are getting you closer to your mission goals in life. And once a copy of that, work it on your own email to free at chasing the high at gmail.com. That's incredible. Michael, thank you so much for that. I mean, I, to me, if you're when you since you're listening, if you don't pause and email Michael and ask for this, I'm going to encourage you to when we go forward, just don't listen to my show anymore. It makes no <laughs> sense. Like, Wait, let me, let me repeat the uh, email. Sorry, I, I think I missed it. It's freechasingthehigh at gmail.com. Freechasingthehigh at gmail.com. Just send an email in there, and you can even just title it seven-figure coaching system. It'd be, uh, again, literally criminal on your behalf, no matter where you're at in your pro progression of life. It's one of the things that I, I believe we all have to do is write that self-audit, self-assessment, and have a, an unbiased third party be able to help you see that alignment. All right, Michael doesn't know you. I don't. I might not physically know you. It's just you and the and the assessment that's in front of you to help create the path towards the alignment to really to me manifest or create the life you're searching for. I mean, that's what this is all about. Hundred percent. And if you wanted to go over with me, you can send me an email directly, and I'm glad to set up a consultation call with you. And uh, it's Michael at MichaelG-com. But yeah, please take advantage of it. I built it to help other people. Well, Michael, I'd like to talk about that, right? What's What's your life consist of now? We've sold the consulting, or we've we've sold the right the staffing company. We got a, a best selling book. We got a, yeah. a conversation we're having. But there's got to be more going on in your life than just hanging out in beautiful Venice Beach, ha holding up a book and saying, "Ah, life is good. I'm I'm good. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hold up a book and and work. what is it? Right? Is there some consulting? Is some coaching? Some mentorship? Oh, is it? Sure. There's a lot going on. Just with the book, it's on Amazon. It's on Audible. ChasingTheHighBook.com. Uh, there's that gallon of water. I'm drinking a gallon of water too. I see it. I sized it up. I got it. Um, so uh, you're probably you're done with a gallon already. You must be doing two a day or something. I am. Uh, yeah. See, I got it. I got it. Um, but um, uh, yeah. So um, I'm actually much like well, I think a little bit different. But I, I coach uh, entrepreneurs who are looking to double their revenues within the next 12 to 18 months. So usually, uh, you know, I had a five and a half million dollar company. So company, I work with companies usually in the one to $10 million range. Once they get a little bit bigger than that, it's kind of out of my scope of expertise. Um, so, um, but yeah, I help um, from top down, uh, really taking a look at the org chart, making sure the right people are in the right places, that they actually know what their responsibilities are, that they're focused on them and not checking off a task list that doesn't move the needle, that they're allocating proper communication channels within the various departments, the documentation is in place, data is where it needs to be. And then at the end of the day, I'm a sales guy, so that the sales leads are being nurtured properly and that they're having a good sales experience coming in and going out. So that's really what I do from a uh, executive coach kind of business coach standpoint. But I also work with entrepreneurs who are dealing with um, either addiction or isolation challenges because it can be very isolating. I created a four-step process to take entrepreneurs and business leaders 
or just leaders in general from isolation to connection. So that's kind of the work I do from there. I do a lot of volunteer work. Uh, I volunteer uh, in the prison system a lot with a company called uh, Hustle 2.0. So we go to the prison systems and we teach entrepreneurship, we teach emotional intelligence, we teach resume writing, interviewing, uh, parole, uh, preparing for parole, all these different things. So I'm involved with that as well. And, um, and then I also have a interview series and column that I write called Fate, F-A-T-E, From Addict to Entrepreneur. So anybody who's a former addict and who now built a multi-million dollar business, I do interviews and write articles for Thrive Global and Medium. I love that. And and all this stuff, Michael, all I should say stuff, all the brilliance that you, I don't want to downplay and say stuff, right? That's very condescending. My apologies. Didn't, didn't mean it that way. All I, the things, easily. I appreciate that. All the things that make you, you. Are these all able to be found at michaelg-.com? Yeah. Yeah. Just go right to www. You got to use the www for some reason. <laughs> michaelg-.com. And, uh, you know, like I said, if anybody's interested in a free consultation call with your business or your personal life or, or whatever it might be however i can contribute i'm here to serve i appreciate that and just as you're listening if you press pause go to the show notes right below this episode you're going to see everything that michael shared all the hyperlinks we could possibly create the one clicks to get you the assessment and see the website and buy the book they're all going to be there for you so you don't have to take notes as you're driving in your car just get to somewhere safe press pause go to the show notes pick pick up a piece of the brilliance that Michael's constructed over the course of his life. But Michael, as I appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. So as we, as we look at this and I'll say, put a, put a bow on the package. that has been our time together, right? For, for sake of your time and brevity. As someone's listening and you want them to remember you by just one thing, one thing that defines you as who you are, that they say, Oh, Michael's the guy that does this or stands for this. What do you want everybody listening to remember you by? So uh, I appreciate that question. I would say that regardless, I would like to be remembered for making an impact. And regardless of all the mistakes I made in my life, getting arrested twice, which we didn't even talk about, you know, peddling drugs all over, like being a jerk to my employees, through all of that, it's not too late to change. And change is actually very easy. You can seek it out yourself. And then once you start, uh, you know, retraining your brain, rewiring your brain and have positive information going in your mind instead of this blank technology crap, this terrible news that they just want to keep running in your mind. You positive things come in your mind, positive thoughts come out of your mind, positive actions follow those. Anybody can change at any point in their life. It took me a lot longer than a lot of other people, but it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter because life on the other side of fear is evolution. And that's where we can really start, you know, not only feeling better about ourselves, but then helping others as well. I love that, Michael. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your energy. I appreciate getting to know you and sharing your message with with everybody's listening. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs>